<clears throat> well, good evening, universe. It is 7.30 p.m. on the 27th of April. And there's a Nuggets basketball game on in 30 minutes that I'm supposed to meet my father for. And I was going to go hit serves on the way to their house, my parents' house, his house. All of their house, they live together, always have. Never have had a moment apart because they're insane. Okay, um, anyway, that's the plan. So, here are 41 seconds into this. Um, I'm letting you know that I am boy interrupted here in 29 minutes. And I really don't want to hit tennis serves talking to a telephone or even a smartphone. Well, maybe a telephone. I mean, if it was sitting like off to the side and it was a payphone and I was talking to it like it was my friend and people were looking at me thinking, is that guy talking to that payphone? Yep. Yes, he is. Yes, yes, he is. <clears throat> well, all right, stupid is as stupid does. Do you see the problem? I'm tired. And I'm tired because I really haven't slept. And uh, I was trying to get my sleep pattern in a position that I could watch this first half of this game, but now I'm almost too tired to make it through. But I have to get up there because at some point in life, you got to make sure you're taking advantage of the advantage that's there to be had. Or you will certainly regret having been too tired to motivate to go watch half of a basketball game with your old man. And I'm well aware of that. And the energy kick that would come from 10 minutes of service practice would be just the right thing to ensure I don't put him to sleep with my random nodding off and snoring. But since this is the... Hmm. Is this the least well-executed stumble into a content block ever? Probably. But I would have about 130 or so to go listen to first to say for sure. Because there are some terrible ones. <clears throat> in fact, a couple of things I owe this episode. And I realized it as I started to... Um, to think about my next uh, group of 53, which is coming up, so I actually have to get this figured out. And I'm not sure if I'm going to uh, go with no more fucking around or back to it or something else. Um, there's no more... And it wouldn't be no more fucking around. It would be no more effing around. Uh, well, I definitely love the idea of that group titling. I don't know if it's the right time to throw it in there. Because there will be some more effing around. Uh, so, uh, in trying to think about putting something here at the end of value together, the idea that I hadn't really ever spoken about my feelings toward work and work versus employment versus what pays your bills versus so many, so many isolated concepts have to be navigated from your own experience 
and random interaction when it comes to what work you end up doing. At least for me, it did. And for a lot of the people I know, it did. Now, not for everybody. Um, King Arthur, or, well, that guy had to find the sword. If you're... I mean, are we all finding our sword? If you're... Only real sense of what you might do with your life, as it were, is looking at the adults around you and saying, well, what do they do? I had a pretty good slew of, of characters to choose from. My parents' day was a good one. And of my three closest friends through sixth grade, K through six, one, my dad was an architect, one friend's dad was a lawyer, one friend's dad was an anesthesiologist, and one friend's dad was the principal of the high school that we fortunately didn't all end up going to. Um, so, and the woman across the street was, uh, a widow, um, who I believe was, uh, had run the business with her husband initially, or if not took the business over, but was basically a business owner, successful, single son, single woman business owner next door to her was uh uh a couple who ran uh i don't even know what they did they ran some sort of a uh property management company i think or something like that anyway uh they had uh four kids and then next door to me was uh the two the the grandparents I never had um they were well into their retirement but I gotta say Mr. Cornfield was always pulling me aside and giving me these little lessons about how to accumulate money and and how much little bits mattered early because of compound interest and all that he definitely was the first one to ever talk money management with me and then next door to him was uh a guy who owned uh, several used car dealerships. <laughs> he was a little bit skeezy. Um, but really a friendly guy. I mean, I and his kid was dorky as hell, but I really thought they were uh, the most some of the most fun people on the block because they were always smiling. I liked them. But a lot of other people thought they were um, a little uh, too loud for the neighborhood. They were loud. I'll give you that. Um, and then I don't even know who else, but behind me in the alley, uh, was a retired civil engineer. I knew another engineer because he lived sort of kitty corner from us, um, in the alley. And I used to babysit the kid next door. Um, and his parent or his father was a, uh, pediatrician. Well, he's a doctor of some sort. And his mother was a... Um, a portrait painter. She painted portraits of like still portraits of people as gifts. Uh, and you know, so there was just a, enough variety. Oh, and so if you go through my like elementary school friends, uh, I literally had a friend whose dad was a fireman. I had another friend whose dad was a policeman. 
Uh, I had the friend whose dad was a principal, friend whose dad was a lawyer, friend whose dad was a doctor. My dad was an architect. Um, there was another architect friend. The, uh, they were right up the street, actually. Forgot to name him. Um, and then there was the, um, ooh, ooh, there was the, um, God, he was a high school gym teacher, Mr. Weissman. Uh, I don't know what Mr. Craig did. Oh, uh, oh, there was a psychologist. There was a, uh, a fashion photographer. There was, um, yeah, that's just off the top of my head. And, oh, there was a chef, nurse, forgot about those two. Um, enough for now. So, <clears throat> when I thought of what I wanted to be for a guy in a job, uh, I kind of always figured it would just work out, right? That's dumb. Because... If I was going to nail it down, I figured I'd end up in either psychiatry, psychology, teaching slash education, or something in the sciences. And that's as hazy as it ever was, and as clear as it ever was. I never really stepped out of that expectation of myself. And neither did I pursue any of it directly. Uh, and the funny thing is that I actually ended up applying and getting into law school, but did not want to go, made the smart decision not to go. Um, and I, the only reason I got in is because I aced the, the LSAT. And <clears throat> even then I didn't know what I wanted to do and ended up wandering into New Hampshire to oversee a bunch of reckless freshmen who drank way too much and pulled fire alarms. So I never, I never had drive toward a, a position in this universe. Never. Not once. Until three, four years ago. Um, and I, I, when I would seriously consider a profession like, say, veterinarian, I always realized, no, I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me to sustain the expectation of that career because I cannot embrace the work side of life with this sort of respect and zeal it deserves to take on a career like veterinarian. Um, I'd have been overwhelmed by it and it would have been something eventually I'd have uh, failed at by abandoning whether in school in residency in the middle of putting a shot in a dog and watching it tear out for the whatever time sooner or later any job any job other than professional golfer even that one maybe I've added John Daly to Probably would have. Hell, if John Daly and I had been on tour together, I guarantee you I would have followed down his coat rails. And I do mean coat rails. <sighs> if you... If you can't figure out anything that looks sustained 
a bull enough to pull you in, well, then you suppose that you'll bounce around until something fits you right. Same attitude I had about women. Same attitude I had about friends. Fuck, that was my attitude. You bounce around until sooner or later something fits you right. Well, when nothing ever fits you right, uh, your first, other than an allowance, which is a little bit of a legit earning, a little bit of a, here you go, bro. But there was a check earned. My sister and I both made 10 bucks being test subjects for some Colorado University School of Medicine study. I don't know. We didn't do anything weird. We just... I think it was uh, looking at uh, patterns, but we got 10 bucks for doing it. Uh, no, actually, I take that back because I remember them doing the whole uh, pump your arm up thing, the blood pressure. So there might have been a physical involved. What, it doesn't matter. We uh, we took that $20, pulled it together, immediately went to Target and bought the 1999 Lego set, which was the day I think I understood what tax meant because we didn't have enough money. My mom ended up giving it to us. Um, and we came home with a Lego box that was literally at the time, the size of my sister. And so then after that, the next money I earned was on a paper route and I picked that up in fourth grade and I'm not going to tell the paper route story today. Um, but fifth grade Halloween, uh, uh, fifth grade Halloween, that means I gotta go to my parents. So this has to stop. And that also has to be set for, oh, stop it. Um, I picked up a paper route in fourth grade uh, that I then kept until sixth grade when I handed it off to my sister. She joined me at one point in the sixth grade when she was in fourth grade. And then I handed it off to her when I went to seventh grade and she did it for like a month and then quit. So after that, I started caddying at a country club in Denver called Denver Country Club uh, because I wanted to both A, make the money and B, uh, play the golf course. Uh, and I did that from, I want to guess, eighth, ninth grade till I left for college. And I didn't do it much after 8th, ninth grade, but I did it for those two summers every day, every morning, was down there. And made some pretty good money, especially because I was starting to get some of the favored uh, uh, owner, or I mean members, and they would request me. So having played the game helped. Uh, that said, I've worked my whole life, except for <laughs> really... Uh, basically the, all three and a half of the last four and a half years, I have been less than the guy showing up to do the caddy job every day. All right, hang on. I got to go. We're going to get back to this though. That's why you're going on pause. <laughs> yeah. Now that was funny. Halftime is over as it were. And now that it's the day after, not that movie, it's just the day after. It's the 28th. I've been to work. I've been home. I'm sitting in the garage with Phoebe. She is 
90% asleep. I am 9% asleep. And it's time to talk my feelings about work. But there's too much ambient noise out here to sustain the rest of this recording as an environment that will be listenable. So, I guess we gotta head in. But first, purple train wreck. Actually, not first. Fourth. Because I'm already three into the bag. And not into the bag. Because you don't go into the bag. You go into the happy place. The toy box of life. The mental padded room that is covered in cotton candy and cinnamon gummy bears with a fountain of... Hey, you know what's weird? And that should have been Diet Mountain Dew to finish that, but all of a sudden, I can't drink Diet Mountain Dew. It makes me sick. It's the bubbles. They've changed it. In fact, what's weird is I went to try to get a generic version of it because when in doubt, there is one uh, alternative source if the regular is sold out, which it frequently is, because there's so many stupid caffeine addicts in America. Point is, that's no longer even available. It's off the shelves. So they've done something to Diet Mountain Dew, which I have been drinking for 35 years. Not, not 35, 33, roughly. Maybe more, maybe 35. Somewhere in the 33 to 35 year range, this has been a beverage in my life. And it, it had a fundamental redo in the late 2000. It's like 2007 or 8 when they changed the formula. And it was sickly gross. But I got used to it. Actually, I went away from it, came back to it, got used to it. Now they've changed it again, and I literally can't drink it. I don't know. The bubbles make me feel like I have to throw up. It's happened four or five times in the last two weeks. So whatever has changed is persisting. It's not just me. And it happened actually this morning in a situation where I was like, if it happens now, I'm done drinking it. So I poured the rest of it out. Something, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, where, if you want to talk about the single biggest change in my life, the idea that caffeine might be leaving my life, I never even thought it possible. I never thought I would quit drinking Diet Mountain Dew. I figured I'd have one on my deathbed. And now I can't even drink one. It just makes me nauseous. So, while these recordings probably make you nauseous, that makes us even, I'm going to hit pause, purple train wreck myself into the perfect state of mind to complete the journey through my mental challenges of ever being able to give a shit about my job. So, might need more than just purple train wreck for this. Okay, I'm still in the garage. Phoebe's heavy aside, we're enjoying ourselves out here. It's such a perfect temperature day. Whatever this temperature is, is the temperature humans were made to exist within. It's like your skin and the air are exactly the same temperature. I don't know, you can wave your arm around. There's not even any cool air, man. It's just perfect. It is perfect. And it's got a breeze of about three to four miles an hour to blow enough air in to keep us nice and relaxed. Now, the purple train wreck doesn't hurt either. And I think I'm starting to 
be able to voice my reasons that I never want to ever give up smoking, ingesting, vaporizing, and in whatever capacity makes sense. Marijuana is uh, no longer a shameful part of my life because when it is capable of enhancing three or four of my favorite things life has to offer, then why would I ever want it gone? In fact, if the government wants to do anything for me, protect the marijuana supply chain so that it's always available. I don't care what else you do. I'll grow my own food. I wish I could say I could grow my own weed, but apparently I can't. So growing my own food's probably not an option either, let's be honest. Okay, so government will probably need some food in that supply chain if we're going to survive. I'd also think clean drinking water and energy like you're doing. All this stuff is probably working for me. But can we throw marijuana in the mix? Now that we're all thinking it's kind of okay to be legal and all that shit, can we start really keeping it consistent and available because a life lived with it is so much more enriching when it comes to getting lost in thought. One of my actual favorite activities that the human experience offers is that realization that I got to get back to what I was doing because that means I've been lost in my own mental thoughts to the point this reality became secondary that I can be so entwined with my mental journey that my physical literally becomes irrelevant. Well, I don't think that's a state of mind in which to exist. In very many instances as a preference. But it is the state of mind that marijuana enables for me and it's pleasurable and since so many other parts of life are doing what they can to take my thoughts craft them mold them into the outcome and eventuality they hope most to achieve well the moment that I think I gotta get back to what I was doing well That's my little moment of saying, "Mm, you can have some and maybe most of my mind, but you can't have all of it. I'm still getting lost in thought. And I'm doing it even more when Purple Train Rack's in the house. Oh, God, I love this weed. Perfect strain. Perfect strain. It's the perfect strain. Because I'm not munchy hungry. I'm not even uh, weepy emotional, which I have to admit, with some of the recent... Um, emotional outbursts I think there might be some legitimacy to the weed having the impact but we're figuring that part out but still an interesting test none of which am I feeling right now if anything I'm feeling slightly giggly I've even made myself laugh out loud just thinking so that's how giggly I feel and I, I feel like I gotta get up and solve some things so 
I also feel motivated. I don't know what the downside here is. This is what this plant can achieve for you. Then why would you want to ever think of it as a negative influence? And I'm not saying it is a solution for everybody, but I am now never going to fear saying that it's a solution for me. And another solution for me would be to go get Phoebe because she just wandered out of the garage. Activity number two enhanced by Purple Train Wreck. Well, that would be the graceful and amplification wave enhanced interactions with other people. The hardest thing for me in socialization was always just relaxing and being myself. Uh, Overanalyzing situations, over-anticipating, over-focusing on either the, um, the advantages or shortcomings present in the situation, both personally and against. I, I mean, these are, the, these are the burdens, if you want to be obscene. That's a terrible thing to think. No, these are the... Um, these are the places in life where being driven to understand, know, and be aware of everything works against you hugely. And until you can just stop being so overly concerned about what everyone else might be thinking about you or whatever else it is that's making you such a ball of nothingness, until you can just stop caring, be yourself, and let everything else do what it does, you will continue to find yourself looking for something like Purple Train Wreck to make it all better. Because it does. I was never unsure of a social situation when I was high. Now, that may not be true of everyone around me, but it was true of me. And somewhere in there, there's some legitimacy to the, bro, this is not a good time to be high, conversation that somebody might have been forced to have with me or forced to think that that's not a conversation I'm going to have with that mother ever. Point is, I can see where my opinion of my use of this substance versus my opinion of what socialization cues it was sending that I am not aware of maybe a whole tapestry of ignorance but the first thing that makes life better is whatever helps you be yourself and not in some way too frantic in a situation to allow that to happen and while I don't need Purple train wreck to create a situation where I'm confident socially anymore, until recently, I did. And I'm not embarrassed to say it. I don't even care that that's possibly going to be true again tomorrow. It will always be okay with me that there is something in the universe that when I'm feeling 
like the world's trying to tear me in ways that aren't myself, that I have to fight back. And so long as it doesn't turn me into a stupid ding-dong-eating couch potato, well then, really, I don't have any downside for it. And those aren't downsides. They're just the kind of thing that, if it becomes too patterned, can become who I am. And as someone who once tipped the scales over 200 pounds at 208, and normally weigh at 170, 165 if I'm in good shape, that 208 phase of my life is very much thanks to weed. So I have no misgivings about the way you need to treat something like marijuana if you want to find a profile that fits your life in a strictly uplifting manner and with no degradation whatsoever. There is the ability for this substance to do that for me. So it may have taken a while. It may have taken even another 10 years of my life before I really have it all figured out. But to be at this place in life, come on, government. Purple train, right? Available everywhere for a dollar, a pound. Let's get that going. All right, speaking of let's get that going. It It is funny to me to think that caddying is probably dead now. I mean, I'm sure you, there will be caddies at Augusta for membership until the sun decides to spit us off this planet. But when you look at the economics of golf, rolling people into carts, especially when golf hit the boom of Tiger Woods and everybody out there sucked, it it makes a difference in the time of play. You want people in carts. And unfortunately, that means the caddy is an easy casualty of life. And again, so is the horsewhip, right? Who gives a shit? There are times, though, when your life has found some real grounding in something you know is gone. And I'm not even just talking about things like privacy, but tradition. Traditions change. There's a reason that's a cliche, because they do. And if you aren't capable of noticing time and place and the quaintness therein as a point of reference, not as a point of standard flag-bearing how it should be, well, then you have no chance of actually finding the true evolution in yourself that it is to become something better. And when I thought about my work history and how quickly I put Paperboy first on the list, I really think it's because it's the first time I had my own money. Really had my own money. Like, Paper Route's a terrible job. I mean, it's a terrible job. And even if you're a fourth grade boy who happens to start a paper route with a fifth grade hottie like Amy McCracken and just coincidentally start working a business with what is at least one of the three best looking cute girls in elementary school. Well, that can taint your opinion of perhaps the entire industry, if we're being fair. And when she decides that the papers have arrived too late on Halloween 
in sixth grade when she says, this is my last Halloween, and if you think I'm going to miss it for doing a paper route, and storms off. And you're sitting there going, shit, man, now what? It's already a bad situation, and now my partner quit. Partner. <laughs> we had a six-block paper walk, paper route, did I? Did myself and Amy McCracken have? And it was from 4th to 1st Avenue on Bel Air and Birch Street. I lived on 4th and Birch, she or 4th and Bel Air, she lived on 1st and Birch. So we literally had basically the three blocks between us was our paper route. And for, mm, I want to say six, seven months, we pulled it off. I took that thing over sometime in spring of fourth grade, and it was my fifth grade Halloween that Amy basically walked off the job. Hmm. <laughs> Hello, irony. Um, <laughs> I'd never put those two thoughts together. Holy shit. Maybe, maybe having that experience is why I can justify it so easily. Having had it done to me in the very first ever business adventure of my life. Well, you know, fuck them if they can't understand what trick-or-treating means to me. <laughs> uh, so, we used to deliver papers in a shopping cart. Because at the time, you could still go down to Safeway in Cherry Creek and steal one and take it home and make it your paper wrap buggy. I hadn't graduated yet to the bike. I wasn't big enough to pedal it. I tried one, and it was too big. So, I had to push a cart around. And... The, uh, the papers were very late that day. I'm not even sure why. Like, obviously, the Denver Post is well aware that the kids delivering their newspapers are not looking to do it at 5.30 or even 6.30 at night, as ended up happening that night. And, uh, and frankly, Amy, you were right. I should have said, fuck it with you and gotten my costume on and gone trick-or-treating with you. I didn't know that at the time because at the time I still thought the most important thing you could do is prove that when you said you were going to do something that you followed through. So I sat there 45 minutes or so before they finally showed up after she had left. I mean, people were ringing on my house door. I heard them asking trick-or-treat at my own door. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, and, uh, and this happened to be the year I had the best costume I ever had. I was a gorilla and I had a foam latex mask that made me one spooky looking little gorilla. It was basically the, the assembly from the planet of the apes and it worked. It looked, it looked great. It was a little chin piece, a little face piece and some hair and it looked like a monkey. It was terrific. In fact, I was too scary for the haunted house at school. They pulled me out because I was jumping out from behind a, a door and too many kids were crying. So they made me stop. And this is the day that I sat in my driveway waiting for a yellow truck to pull up and drop 44 papers on my driveway so I could fold them all, band them in a newspaper, stick them in a shopping cart and walk six blocks, placing them on people's porches. And... I mean, that's a crappy job, no matter how you look at it. But, especially if you throw in collecting, oh my God. We literally had to go door-to-door -door asking for money. 
And, you know, that was, that was life. Life was good. Life was different. And I really did love that job. I loved it enough that I talked my sister into being my next partner, and we expanded and got a bigger route. So, as you can imagine, I was crying basically from the time I started the route. Because I could even see some of my friends were out, you know, and they were laughing at me, which they should. That's a laughable moment <laughs> when you're the kid delivering papers in the middle of trick-or-treating. I'm not here to trick-or-treat yet. I'm here to deliver you your paper. I believe I even said at one point in my consternation as someone opened the door as I approached. <laughs> God damn it. I'm the only one willing to do the job. So I'm the one doing it. Tears of plenty by the time I was on block six. I tell you what. Because whatever happened when I got home, my mom knew something. And uh, so whatever candy was left hidden somewhere, somehow made it, well, <laughs> I never got to wear the, uh, the monkey mask, uh, because it was too much work to put it all back on after I'd been home so late, it just didn't make sense, so I put on <laughs> my old Spider-Man mask, from kindergarten. I still had it somewhere in my room. And I walked, I don't know, like three blocks before I finally quit. <sighs> and <sighs> Halloween is still my favorite holiday. It's, uh, it's lost its luster, I'll admit, especially the idea of wearing masks and being something other than yourself. But, uh, it still matters to me that I do the job the best I can. It always has. And uh, the worst of it is, Nobody's asking us to do work that's worth a shit anymore. Everything is just a program of learning how to do it this way, just like everybody else in the room is trying to master. And the more you can be like everybody else in the room, the more you all can be the same, the more you can all fulfill all these analytical goals, well, the better job you're doing. No. No more. You can't just expect the human existence that it is to have all these tools, all these gifts, and all this wonderful ability so that we can be the most efficient order picker on the Amazon floor. Maybe one in a million of us aspires to that actual goal. But the other 999,999 of us are being forced into it. And you're ruining our lives. You're turning us into nothing of interest at all. 
You just want us to be like everybody else. And that couldn't feel less human.